uh, in our last study, we finished in verse 29 there of Joshua 8. And that last study, we really focused in on prayer. And remember when um, the, the, the children of Israel finally crossed the Jordan and they went in and they went against Jericho and they followed God's protocol. And it's so important that we're always following God's protocol as revealed in God's word. And if people are saying, hey, well, this is what God has for you, but it does not line up with God's word, that's not what God has for you. God's not going to contradict himself. And God's word is a standard which we go by in all things. And we'll see that reiterated in these, this text tonight, uh, you know, as we, as we start into it. Always go back to the scriptures. And so according to God's word, remember they went, and for seven days they marched around that city. And the, those in Jericho watched them. And on the seventh day, they, they, seven times around, they blew those trumpets. The walls fall in. And I still just marvel. I think about it a lot of times where Rahab, who lived on the wall, her house stood. You know, She put faith in the Lord, and she was standing on the rock. And uh, you know, and I, I don't just think about this stuff when I teach it. I'm a lot of times thinking about it and so forth. And I just keep marveling at the fact and rejoicing. And you've heard me talk about it so much where she's Rahab the harlot, she puts faith in the Lord, she becomes Rahab the evangelist, and is there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, uh, what, what, a, what a glorious, glorious thing. And her house stood because it was on the rock. But, you know, so they followed the protocol going in, uh, you know, the way God prescribed for them to engage in warfare and to worship. And guess what? It worked out well. Isn't that amazing? When you follow the Lord in his ways, it always works out well, uh, you know, because uh, his word is true. And as well, because when, when that's our heart, he grants us even extra grace and mercy and so forth, which we, we desperately need. But remember, as they went in there, he, he really gave them, uh, you know, one main command that the first, the first fruits belonged to, belonged to him, the gold, the silver, the things that would go through the fire. And uh, we talked about that a lot recently, just even in this, the first fruits, the study before last, how, you know, throughout the word, when we give our first to the Lord, there's always just great blessing in that, you know, uh, where the Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And across the board, I mean, you put the Lord first, it means everything else is going to follow in order. And, uh, you know, it, it all belongs to him anyway. So what, what's the difference? It's all his and his book's always balanced, so it's always better to, again, walk in his prescribed ways. So I said, that all goes to him. And remember, he said, don't take any of the cursed things for yourself, which would be, again, if you take what belongs to him for yourself, that would be taking a curse on yourself, as well as those things that were supposed to grow, go into the fire. And we know there was a man named Achim, and his, mean, his name means the troubler of Israel. But more than that, he troubled his own soul. And they went in, and he saw that gold. He saw a, changing, a change of garments. And instead of fearing God, and the fear of God would have kept him from touching that because he would have recognized the Lord said, abstain from the cursed things, lest the curse come upon you. You know what? A fear of God would have caused me, you know what? Nah, I, I respect the Lord. I believe the Lord. I'm not gonna go there. I don't wanna be corrected by the Lord. But in his lack of fear of God and leaning on his own understanding, being led by his fleshly eyes versus Again, the Spirit of God, we know he took that and he went and he buried it there in his tent. And when they went in, and it's moving us up to where we are, they went into that next city, Ai, which was a way less formidable of, a, of an enemy than Jericho. They just took a handful of guys and said, oh, we'll go and overthrow this. And they went in, remember, they got routed, and 36 men lost their lives. 
And I'll tell you, when we hide a curse things in our life, you know, versus, as I always point this out, it's one thing to be wrestling and grappling with sin. You know, that, that's, a, that's a sign you got a pulse in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you're taking those things and burying them and wanting to make provision for them, God's going to bring correction. And those things are going to affect others. And unfortunately, 36 men lost their lives and, you know, they, they begin to weep and so forth. And then God finally told Joshua, get off your face and go deal with the sin in the camp. And, um, you know, oftentimes there's setbacks in our life and, you know, for various reasons, but at times it is we just need to get up and go deal with issues and so forth. And they went up and they, they, they did that. And, you know, it, God pointed it out, pointed out to them what the issue was. And we know that it, it absolutely cost uh, Achan and his family, it cost them their lives. And then as we continued on there in the study, now it was time to go up against AI again. And this time, again, everyone got involved. Everyone was engaged in the battle, not just a handful of folks. And uh, it's a glorious thing when everyone gets engaged, when everyone's praying, when everyone's walking in their gifts, when everyone's doing their part. We know in our physical bodies, when all our parts are functioning well, boy, there's a lot more health there, isn't there, so forth. And it's the same in the body of Christ. And so everyone, everyone got involved. And remember, before they went into AI, we saw an account that really doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's similar to the account of Moses in Israel when they went against the Amalekites. And we know as Moses lifted up his staff, as long as his staff was up, they would have victory. And it's a picture of prayer because he was up on the, up on the hill looking down. It was a, a picture of interceding. And we know Moses is a type of Christ and praise God, Jesus intercedes for us. Otherwise, we're, we, you know what? We're all in trouble. He intercedes for us. But the, no, no, there's no saints and so forth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? He can handle it all. He's God Almighty. You don't need JV guys up in heaven helping him out. Varsity's got it all under control. God is on the throne. And all of it, it look at if the nations are like a drop in the bucket to the Lord, all our issues, you know, aren't even on the radar. He's interceding for us. And we know in that count with Moses... A, a picture of the Lord. As long as his arms were up, they'd have victory. And remember, Aaron and her came alongside of him and helped those arms stay up until victory came. Well, in like matter with Joshua, Yeshua, where we get the name Jesus, you know, at our Lord, we know before they went in AI, they didn't go until Joshua, remember, lifted up his spear. And it's not talked a lot about, at least, at least I haven't, I've never heard a lot of people talk a lot about it. And I've been around these things a, a, a long time, and that you know, that's not to shame anybody, but I think we've missed out, you know, in some of these texts and some of these 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 gems that are in the scripture because the, they didn't move until the spear went up. And again, it's the exact same picture of him interceding. It's the exact same picture, and that's what they were doing. It wasn't just a spear up; he was he was standing as an intercessor in prayer for Israel when they went against Ai. And it says they, as they held it up, they went and they again followed God's prescription, which was to go bait those in AI to come out against them. And as they came out, they lit their city on fire and then they routed them and his arms did not go down until the victory was complete. And I think there's just a huge thing in that, you know, God's called us to pray. Oftentimes we're, we can be slow to get going in prayer and then other times we stop short in prayer. 
And boy, it's so important that we recognize the battles raging around me. So I want to I enter into prayer first and foremost. And we're called to pray without ceasing to be a people in a communication with God ongoing. And then praying through things is so huge. And he prayed through that victory. And once the victory was complete, he finally said, oh, I, can put, I can put my arms down you know, until, until the next battle, so to speak. And we know they went in, and the Lord said, in this, in this battle, again, in Jericho, all the first fruits belong to me, but in this one, it says, you get all the booty, or all of the next comes for you. And all of those who'd gone into Jericho and gave of the first fruits to God, they went and they reaped the bounty of the victory there in Ai. And again, we talked about this a few weeks back, how there are people that abuse these truths. They take them and they twist them to fleece the flock, to fleece the body of Christ. But you can't take their false teachings to discount actual truths in the scripture. And you'll see it in the Old and New Testament. He was so sparingly, will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. And really in the New Testament setting, that is the confidence to know God's going to supply all my needs. Whether I need a little or whether I need a lot. And I'm going to walk in, in the, the, the abundance of the fruits of the Spirit of God. I'm going to walk in the abundance of strength from upon high. And, and the power of the Spirit of God and so forth. As I make it my aim to fear God and put Him first in everything. And again, that's a, that's a teaching you're going to see in both of these testaments as God is consistent. Look, at God doesn't bless when we're stingy with the Lord. He doesn't bless when we don't step out of faith because it is a step of faith and he does love a cheerful giver. We've talked about it. If, if people give begrudgingly, you need to get your heart right with that and get your faith built as well. And ultimately, you're cheating yourself in that because if you really believe God's word is true, you're going to go, man, this, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this. And again, he says, test me in these areas. And there's so many examples like that in the scripture as God communicating to us, hey, step out of faith do things my way, put me first, and watch me open up the windows of heaven and bless you with everything you need and an abundance of just spiritual fruit and power and strength and so forth. Again, it's throughout God's word. So they went in and, and they got that victory. They got that blessing. And no doubt, again, that, that abundance wasn't for them to go party, but to honor God with those things and, and you know, serve the Lord and help get their families established and all those things which are, which are good before God. And so we come here now to Joshua 8, verse 30, and it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord of Israel and Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whose stones over which no man has willed an iron tool. And they offered on a burnt offering to the Lord... <clears throat> excuse me, and sacrifice peace offerings. And this, this is huge here. After all of the prayers and the great victory that came there in AI, they weren't quick to forget the Lord. Because sometimes we can go through things and we're crying out to God or maybe even leading up to, to you know, to, to things we're going to face or, you know, over the years we'll have outreaches and we pray for that. We lift it up, mention some of those tonight. That, that, you know, we, we looked at the fruit and we saw God answer prayers and those things going well and people coming to the Lord and people being edified and built up. It is always so important that afterwards we thank God. Afterwards we worship the Lord. 
Afterwards, we, we acknowledge, man, God is work. God has moved. Let's remember that. Again, this was an altar to worship God at, to bring offerings before the Lord. But it was also an altar of, of remembrance. Again, we've seen them stacking stones throughout this chapter to look back as a memorial to remember. And that's a picture for us to stack stones, so to speak, to remember God saw me through that. And God brought that victory. I remember we got together and we prayed and we saw God make a way and open a door and open up that person's eyes to, to God and so forth. And we've seen him protect us and keep us and bless us. And we've seen his name lifted up and so forth. I really believe in the aftermath of these things, it's as important as in the beginning when we pray that we give thanks to God, we acknowledge the Lord. Again, it's even part of that, that whole picture of of giving thanks to God in all things. Not, not to, you know, it's, it's a double-sided thing on, on the one side. Don't be slow to pray. Be quick to pray. Be quick to bring your, your burdens before God to pray through things. And then also to be quick to give thanks to God, to acknowledge the Lord, to live a life of a pattern of we pray, we seek God, we watch God move, we thank God, we praise God, we give God glory, rinse and repeat. We do it over and over and over and over again. And again, you'll see this pattern throughout God's word. Now, it's interesting here. They built this altar as it's written in the book of the law of Moses. So with this altar that was set up, it was to be with stones over which no man had wielded an iron. And that seems kind of interesting. So instead of taking stones and having them chisel them up to make them fit in a certain way he's saying take these stones as they are these stones that haven't been messed with by men and stack these stones and worship god on these altars that have been built in that way again this is the picture here for us there's truth here it's a call to again build an altar according to the word of god according to god's prescription without the influence of man's hands all over it. So God's the one that set those stones out there in that field. You ever find one of those river rocks and it's just so smooth and so forth? Look at the Lord's the one that has caused that thing to get rounded up and so forth or whatever else you're going to find out there in the field. God's working in all those things. So I want you to take, he's saying, those rocks and so forth, as I've allowed them to be shaped and so forth, as my hand has been upon them, you come and you build your altar, and you don't get your chisels in there and start reshaping those stones into how you think that these should look and how you think that these should be. And I'll tell you, the truth, the application for this is that, and, and we'll see more of this here as we, as we finish out this chapter, we take God's word as it is written, and we are not to get in and start tampering with it, especially according to man's stupid ideas. And there's so many issues in the church today and Christian today that are rooted in men taking God's word and interpreting them and trying to reshape them through man's stupid ideas. And I emphasize stupid in that. I could say rebellious ideas, fleshly ideas, worldly ideas, ideas that have been shaped by doctrines of demons and ideas as well that are bent knee to try to get approval of men versus the approval of God. I'll tell you something that, that 
that I've talked about before that's, that's just huge today in Christendom and it's so problematic is this idea of theistic evolution. And some of you, well, what is that? Theistic evolution, we know theology is the study of God. So theistic is theology, the study of God. Evolution, again, is this idea that we came from, from apes. It's not scientific at all. I, I know someone who's a God-hater in town, and I drove by their house the other day, and it said um, science opinion with, you know, the, the, the greater sign towards science. And I said, you know what, I actually agree with that if you're dealing with real science. But see, this science today is pseudoscience. None of it's observable, and it completely contradicts real science. Because we know real science teaches that life can only come from life, period. The idea of evolution is things just, you know, that sometime, you give it enough time. I might be going on a rant right now. You, You give it enough time, you know. You give it enough time, and anything's possible. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the, the basis of, the, of, of evolution. They say, you know, if you get enough monkeys in a room and you put them in front of a typewriter, you let them type, eventually you'll get the works of William Shakespeare if you give them enough time. That ain't going to happen. That monkey's probably going to take that typewriter and hit his fellow ape over the head with it. And it's going to be utter gibberish. But it, that's the idea. You give it enough time. And so we, and, and the time keeps getting longer and longer and longer, but the problem with that, there's a law of entropy, which means things are wearing down. And it completely tr- contradicts the idea of 14 billion years, wherever they're down. Because if you take entropy, entropy and we know how things are deteriorating, 14 billion years, you don't have that because the universe is cooling off. It, it, everything changed when man sinned and everything went in, into a cursed direction. And that is evident in everything around us. Things are deteriorating. Each generation gets a little bit stupider. No, sorry. It is, things are deteriorating. They're deteriorating. They absolutely are. That is scientific. That is provable 100%. But we'll give it enough time and anything, anything can happen. And again, we know that that is the, the main thought put out today. Talk to our kids, even though there's so many scientists today that aren't even Christians that are saying this is bankrupt. This, 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 this is impossible. You can't get, you know, Darwin himself basically said if there's anything beyond kind of the matter and what they could see at that point, you know, if this goes deeper than the human eye, this is impossible. Well, guess what? Something was discovered called DNA, you know? All this information on, on you know, at particles so small that we can't even see. Don't we have an awesome God? And the Bible even talks about the invisible things. Speaking of those things that man couldn't see. Look at God's word is a scientific book, 100%. But again, it's, it's all an effort to suppress truth. It's all an effort for fallen men to say, look at, we're going to explain away God. We're going to explain away God so we don't have to be convicted in our conscience of sin, righteousness, and judgment and so that we can go and live however we want, we can live in sin without this conviction and this thought continually on, my, on our mind that you're going to stand before God one day because that is in everyone's heart. So we'll, we'll suppress it, we'll beat it back, and we'll all believe a lie together and we'll convince one another of that to ease our conscience. Romans 1 speaks of this, the oppress, the, the, the truth in unrighteousness. 
And so, again, this idea has been peddled and so forth. Look at the, 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 the fossil record. There's no evidences of it. Uh, you know, you look at the layers there on the earth. It all goes back to, you know, you can only get those fossils if things are quickly covered up. Well, there was something called Noah's Flood that absolutely, absolutely brought those fossils forward, put seashells on the highest mountains in the world, fossils up there of fish and so forth. But again, men wanting to try to resist God, they've come up with this nonsense. But then you see it come into Christianum, where most of the influential men today in Christianum believe in theistic evolution. And so this is the idea that God did not create the world in six days as the word of God says. I'm like, well, you know, those are really thousands of years. Then why is the Sabbath one day? Because last time I checked, you know, in America and in Israel, where they, where they celebrate the Shabbat to this day, Friday when the sun goes down to Saturday when the sun goes down, that is your Sabbath according to the scripture. And even as God prescribed it in Genesis chapter one, on the seventh day, he rested. God didn't rest for a billion years. He rested for one day. He rests for one day, on and on and on and on. But again, men wanting to get the approval of the world and thinking we are learned and God's word is not scientific when actually everything in the Bible that talks about scientific things has been 100% accurate from day one. Listen, the the reason that the Jews survived so many plagues that came on the earth and were sustained as a people even when they were under a curse for rejecting Christ is because they followed the Levitical law. When plagues went through Europe, they were like, why do these Jews keep surviving? Because they washed their hands in running water as described as they were supposed to do put forth in the book of Leviticus. Because most of those plagues spread because bro washes his face with uh, with a tub of water Next bro comes in and does it. The guy after that, the guy after that. You got to clean that water, son. They're using running water. They were following Levitical law that would say, look at when you have to go, go out, dig a hole and bury it. Versus most of these cities having sewage running through their streets, including the, 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 the cities in America until like the late 1800s, early 1900s. You just walk out and it's a poo fest right out there in in, in the street. And God's word said, don't do this. Why? It's a scientific book. Political diet's the best diet in the world, so on and so forth. Circumcise your, your sons on the eighth day. A body heals faster than any other day on the eighth day of their life because the vitamin K levels are so high. It is just a, I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface. It goes on and on and on and on. But these men wanting to impress the world say, let's take the world's ideas, which are dumber than a box of rocks and incorporate them into God's word so we don't we look learned and so forth. I've talked a lot about the gospel coalition and their influence right now and their push of the sin of homosexuality and making room for it in the body of Christ. Almost all these guys believe in theistic evolution. <laughs> guys like a Tim Keller just, oh, Timothy Keller they go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so learned because I'm a disciple. Theistic evolution. That dude should be, should be booted. He should be punted out of any pulpit that he would even come near to. God says, do not build an altar with stones that men's hands have been put upon. 
And I'll tell you, it's so important in our lives, in our theology, that we make sure we are standing in God's word. Paul told Timothy, pay attention to your doctrine or your theology, for in doing so, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Because I'll tell you, even the embracing of theology, you're getting real, you're going to get into a false gospel really quick because you're saying now God's the author of death. God is not the author of death. Death came when man sinned. How dare you put that upon my God? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give life and life abundant. God is the giver of life. And even go that route or whatever, number one, scientifically, it is bankrupt. And on top of that, it is rebellious against God's word. It's an effort to appease the world and man's hands, so to speak. Notice verse 32. That was a little bit of a rant. I get fired up about it because it just, it infuriates me. Like, why is this stuff, this utter nonsense even being brought into the church. It has no, it, it, again, it should be booted. It shouldn't be tolerated for a second. And yet it's tolerated just, just across the landscape of our country and sadly most of the world. Just, it's just disgusting. I'm disgusted by it. <laughs> and the reason is because look at people's souls hanging the balance. This is God's word. Where's the fear of God? We do not tamper with the scriptures by bringing in men's philosophies that are, again, bankrupt. Done with the rant. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the strangers excuse me, as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount uh, Gerizim, the other half in the front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. So again, they built the altar with stones that had not been touched by man, but they had stones that absolutely they had written the law of God on. And look at you've heard that saying before, it's written in stone. That's a biblical, that's a biblical term. God's word again is written in stone. And when something's written in stone, guess what? You can't come and white it out. You, you, you can't come and scratch it out. It's written in stone. And absolutely it was written down in stone and then these copies were made, and listen, when they made these copies, we read about scribes in Jesus' day. All these scribes did were make, all they did was make copies of God's word. And this was done with incredible precision. They had incredible ways of doing checks and balances to make sure nothing was added to the word and nothing was taken away from the word of God. Look at even when that with with you know, when they, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls <clears throat> there in, uh, was that the late 40s when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls over there? And they, they found more and more in all those caves down there uh, by the Dead Sea. They were amazed that the passages of the Bible that they found were spot on word for word with the other copies that had been, that had been preserved by the Lord of the Old Testament. 
I mean, you can go there in Quorum. There, there's a, a museum there. There's a museum in Jerusalem where there's entire chapters. And uh, I've been there and I've talked to Jews who can read Hebrew. And they're like, this reads exactly, exactly as my Hebrew Bible reads today. When it comes to the New Testament, we don't have the original, the original copies wrote by the apostles. But there's over 25,000 early copies of the New Testament. First century, second century copies of the new testament look at most most writings that are out there there's maybe 10 or 12 of them and and then people exalt them above god's word there's over 25 ancient copies of the new testament and guess what word for word they read the same it's a consistency and that's one of the ways god has preserved his word through those copies and again those copies were copied Again, with, with great care and great per, per, precision, written in stone. And again, it's so important. This kind of goes along what we've already been looking at. We don't add to God's word. Again, we don't bring, I should say, we don't bring man's ideas into God's word. And then we don't get in and bring our ideas. And so I don't like that part of God's word. So I'm, you know, I'm going to delete it out of my Bible. Or this, you know, I got a feeling that God really is like this. So I'm going to bring this into my Bible. Well, there's a lot of that today. Look at surveys today of, of, of people who profess to be Christians. The highest percentage of people surveyed say their theology is based not on the scriptures, but on their emotions, what they feel. I mean, how many times, you, you, how, how many times, it'd be interesting to know when, when we're talking about theology and scripture and, and mor- morals and so forth, even salvation, where people start with, well, I feel... Well, I think, and again, I, I know you can say you think and bring it back to the scripture, but how many times does I feel or I think, and then it's based on what I feel or what I think versus what God's word says. It's so important we're not adding to the scripture. And again, they built that altar according to the scripture. They copied the scripture. Notice Deuteronomy 4.1. <clears throat> he says, now Israel, listen to the statutes and judgment, which I teach you to observe. And then notice here, that, I may, that, that you may live and go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. So in other words, listen to the word, teach the word to observe the word, not that you'll have a horrible life, but that you'll live and you'll prosper and you'll be walking where God would have you to be walking. Does that not sound good? He says, you should not add to the word which I commanded you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you. So don't add to the word, don't take from the word, that you can keep God's word versus you adding your own word and keeping your own word. No, we want to take God's word, get God's word in us, teach God's word so we know God's word, so that by the spirit of God, we can walk in God's word according to his commandments. And let me tell you tonight, Great joy is found in walking in the commandments of God. 100%. That's why the Lord says, the Bible says they're not burdensome. See, when we have liberty, we have freedom. We have now in Christ, the spirit of God, an ability to walk in victory. And the greatest joy in the world is found in that. Look, there's so many temptations out there. And look, there's, there's things we have to battle and wrestle with. We got before Christ, so many of us got steeped in different areas of doing things our own way. And, and the Lord washes of those things. And then it's a process of getting our mind renewed and learning how to walk over those things victoriously. 
But, but in those, those, those areas, when you begin to walk in God's commandments and making that your aim, it's so much better. Look at God's concept of sexuality is so much better than anything the world has to offer. The fornication or adultery or lust, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality, whatever it is. And boy, it's a, it's a long laundry list over here, isn't it? And what's the Lord say? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Oh, what joy, what fulfillment found in that when we learn to walk in that and in singleness, waiting for that versus polluting ourselves with these other things that the world puts out there. And then how many today have even taken that and made it the commandment that you even hear so much? Well, thou can do this and thou shall do these things and so forth. And again, they don't bring life. They don't bring, they don't bring health spiritually, mentally, physically. They, they don't bring the blessings of, of, of God. And so again, when he's saying don't add or take from my word, it, it's not God, again, just, just being a heavy to, to, to hurt us. But he's saying, look, don't add or take from it so that you can, you can prosper, so that you can abound, so that you can walk in fullness of strength and power and the fruits of the Holy Ghost and a confidence that, that my God's on the throne and my God's going to go before me. And I walk in the light and fellowship with him. And when I wrestle with stuff, I want to bring it to God and know my God's compassionate and, and, and he's generous and, and he's merciful. And when we fall, he'll pick us back up. And so let me bring it all to him because he already knows the struggle anyway. So Lord, let me bring my struggle. Help me, God. He, look, God hears those prayers. Help me, God. That's a prayer he hears when it's brought to him just in brokenness and humility, a humble, a humble and contrite heart. He will not refuse. He'll never refuse that. Again, sadly, when it comes to just God's word, though, and even in talking about copying it, there are so many modern versions of things put out called the Bible that are just blasphemy. You look at copies of the Bible like the message. That's utter blasphemy. And I'll hear guys that even know better. What are you doing teaching out of this nonsense? There's other copies of the Bible that are paraphrases. An NIV, a New Living, those are paraphrases. This is where someone read the text and they said, this is what I think this means, and so we're going to interpret it. I think those can have some value as a, maybe looking at them as a commentary, but then you have other translations that are word for word. We do New King James here. It's a word for word translation of the Hebrew and Greek into the English. And the reason why as well as I go with that is because guess what? The New King James is going nowhere. It's been around since 1611. But I'm not gonna get up here and be an English teacher as well as a Bible teacher because it's like people like, I don't even understand half these words because the language has changed in the last 400 years, believe it or not. It's changed in the last 53 years of my life. Am I, yeah, I'm 53 now. It's changed incredibly different. But King James is going nowhere and your new King James, for the most part, it's just King James taking a lot of those old English things out of, of them. You know, it's not going anywhere. And again, it's a direct translation and so forth. And so we want to preach the word. We don't want to add to the word. We don't want to take from the word. We don't want to bring man's philosophies in and, and look at God's word through that and translate the word. Like again, rewriting Genesis 1 and putting all these billions of years in that utter nonsense one other note on that too we went through revelation uh recently 
And remember, we read there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. Remember reading about that? It doesn't say, and God will take 13 billion years to make the new heaven and the new earth, does it? It's like, boom, old gone, here's the new. So why are we getting that from back here? I digress. Verse 34, and we're gonna finish on, on, on this here. And afterward, he read all the words of the law. <clears throat> Notice here, the blessings, praise God for the blessings, amen. But notice what else he says, and the cursings. According to all that's written in the book of the law, he didn't add blessings, he didn't add cursings, but he read the blessings and the cursings that were in the book of the law. And then notice there was not a word of the law of Moses, uh, of that which Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel. Notice here as well with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. He brought all the word. We're gonna gather you all here. We're gonna read God's word to all you all. The men, the women, the children. If you're a stranger here today, guess what? The message won't be altered to tickle your ears, you know, and hopes you come back. You're gonna hear it as it's written. You're gonna hear the blessings. And guess what? You're gonna hear some cursings too. And then hopefully those, those, the, the, the thought of those blessings would stir your heart. Man, I wanna follow the Lord. And hearing those cursings would make you go, I want to depart from evil. I do not want to walk. And that, that again is called reverence for God. It is called the fear of God. They read all of it. And I'll tell you, when God's word is taught, it should be a whole array of encouragements, exhortations, equippings, as well as rebukes and corrections. And it's a problem, it is problematic and you should run as far as you can get away from any pulpit where you never hear a rebuke. You never hear the word sin. You don't hear the word repent. And there's a lot of them today that are like that. Praise God, there's a great remnant that's not like that where you're gonna hear all God's word. God bless those men tonight, amen? And there's many of them though and I, I keep hearing from so many sources even recently, people, I've heard people say, man, 95%. 95%. You ain't hearing all God's word at it. I don't go out. I haven't taken a survey. I just, that number I keep hearing, I don't know. But I know this 5%, boy, can turn the world upside down. I do know that. And hopefully it's more than that. But the blessings and the cursings. And this is, again, why it's so, there's such value in going through all the God's word. Going through it verse by verse. We get all God's word. It's easy as a pastor to go, well, I'll just, I'll just take certain pet topics and exciting things and so forth. And, and, and you know what? We'll, we'll just talk about, you know, stuff in the news and exciting things and, you know, what these, these edgy topics and so forth versus just going through God's word. Look, I know a lot of YouTube guys that are, that are they're popular on YouTube and they do well in, in their preaching but then, and again, I, I want to be careful in talking about church attendances and so forth. I know many of them, are, they're, 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 they've struggled with their churches. Their, their, their churches, their actual churches are kind of unhealthy. And you, you hear these guys, some of these men, you're like, man, why isn't this, this place booming? And a thought that I had is the problem is not with their preaching. The text they're preaching is good, but the problem is they're not teaching all of God's word. 
They're taking certain subject matter and they want to keep talking about end time stuff and 666 and robots and all this stuff. And there's a place for that when you go through God's word. But when you're talking about the Nephilim, like half your sermons, which is interesting, and a lot of these guys break this stuff down well and do well with it. Yeah, you might get a YouTube booming, but as far as feeding a, a congregation, them getting healthy and so forth, you need all of the Bible. You need all of it. And I can tell you as a pastor, it's a lot more exciting and easy when you just take those certain things that everyone gets excited about. But when you have to go through and you know what? You have to, to, to march through the book of Numbers. And in the first 10 chapters of, of Chronicles. And okay, we're going to go over two books and we're going we're gonna to go through this psalm. And we've got 60 verses before us. That's, that's, that, there's work involved. And I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to puff myself up. Paul, again, told those in Ephesus, I declare all of God's word to you. But you get that healthy diet. You get the fullness of the scripture. And what I would encourage, any, any, especially any young pastor starting up, I say teach God's word verse by verse. Verse by verse. Teach all of God's counsel, all of God's word. It will be the best thing for you. It will be the best thing for those that hear. And guess what? You're going to cover everything. People are oh, we're topical. You know, we don't have the exciting topics. You go through God's word, you can hit all the topics. You're going to hit topics where you're like, oh, man, I don't want to. I don't want to touch this. You can hear something like, oh man, I'm being rebuked. I got to take all week. You got to study and repent. Serious. I got I to gotta repent all week so I can get up and actually teach this. I need to be doing this. But I'll tell you, that's good for us. All of God's word. And again, to the men, the women, and I love it, the little ones. They didn't say, oh, let the little kids go play on the playground. And, and you know what, uh, do art. No, we'll get them in here. We're gonna get, they need God's word. And again, I'm blessed in our fellowship. We've always had a strong children's ministry. We're tonight, a storm outside, but the kids that are here tonight, they're getting taught God's word. And hopefully that's a supplement to what's going on in their home. And then lastly, I already touched on a bit, but the strangers as well. And uh, look, at, there, there was a movement that was started Probably Robert Schuller, Bill Hybels is the guy that really popularized it, who's disgraced now. And he should have been disgraced when he just opened his mouth and started preaching because Willow Creek Church, any guy that would say, the word sin will never come out of my mouth in a pulpit. He should have been counseled, like canceled in like 1983 whenever he said that. But dude went into the late, you know, 2000 teens until he finally found out he was chasing his secretary around the office and whatnot. Again, no fear of God. But, but he taught a, 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 a thing. It was like um, evangelizing Harry and Mary. It was some dumb thing like that. And it was, it was seeker sensitive. And then Rick Warren took it to another level, seeker sensitive. So Sunday morning is no longer about teaching people and going through the word and teaching the people and equipping them so they can go out and evangelize. They can go out and invite their neighbor over and have dinner with them and share the gospel of Jesus with them and then bring them, you know what, to, to, to begin to get discipled at church or hopefully even if they're coming in, they know they're going to hear the gospel when they bring them in. It was, let's water everything down. Let's get the crosses off the wall. Let's kind of make the church look like a nightclub. Let's whittle the message down to 20 minutes, you know. Let's, let's extend the rock show for 45 minutes. And we'll make it really sensitive to seekers 
So they come in and they're not dare offended by anything. And then they'll, they'll want to come back. And then in Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren took another thing. By the second week they're in, you, back, you should have them plugged into ministry. So you close the back door of your church and no one ever leads. Bro, there's some people that need to come through and go. That's just the facts. You want them to get saved, but you come in with an agenda, you come through, there's the back door. You can take that false teaching with you. You can take that lifestyle with you. If you don't want to repent of it, you take it right out the back. But we'll, we'll, we'll get them plugged in so they feel important and they don't go anywhere. It's completely unscriptural. I'll tell you, it has been, it has decimated Christianity, in the, in, especially in North America. It's pretty much practiced everywhere, though. This idea, let's, be, let's make Sunday morning. Well, how are your people getting fed? Because none of these churches even have a midweek service. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the only church in the county tonight having a midweek service. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Again, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, oh, boastful. It's just a lot of this stuff, that, that's just the truth of the matter. And I say that to make a point. If you're not discipling on Sunday morning teaching and bringing exhortation, it's seeker sensitive. So you know what? Bob and Joe, who are a couple, come in and they're not offended or they're convicted because we want them to come back. That's problematic. They need to come in and hear the bad news. They need to hear of sin. They need to hear of hell. They need to hear you need to repent. And then guess what? You bring the good news, but there's a man named Jesus Christ who died for your sins. So that they can get saved. And guess what? If we leave offended, at least they'll leave offended having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe on their deathbed, they'll call out to the Lord while they're choking out and realize, I'm going to go to hell right now. Look, These are truths here tonight. These things are, are, again, scriptural. Go read Ephesians 4. He's given pastors, apostles, teachers, evangelists. Why? For the equipping of the church for the work of the ministry. Not to, seek up, not to set up a disco club so people can come in and we can tickle their ears and they're not offended. And again, I, my, my, and I'm going to close on this because I say we'll be done at 7.30 and it's almost 7.45, but that's, that's Steve time. To me, look at you want to be sensitive to a seeker? What, if someone's coming into church seeking, I take that as they're, they're wanting to hear about God. They're wanting to hear truth about their souls. They're concerned about their, their eternity. There's something going on in their life that they're saying, this is bad math. Me shacked up with my girlfriend. Things aren't working out well. Maybe we should go to church. They need to hear words of liberty, words of life. Not to say, hey, you can come in. Well, you know what? You, everything's good. No. They're there because they, they're, they're, they're saying, we, we need something else than what the world is putting out. So I don't need, so I, this, it's just a satanic deal, but I love it. There in Joshua, give me instruction. Look at your stranger. We'll sit down. You're going to hear the blessings. And son, you're also going to hear the curses and hopes that again, you won't become a stranger. You'll repent and put faith in the God of the Bible. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory and honor. We just thank you for this time here. Lord, you're so good. Your word is so good, God. I just thank you for your great grace, your great mercy. I thank you for the truth of the scriptures that just hold up. They've held up. They will hold up. Men are like grass that withers, like flowers that fade away, but the word of God endures forever. And I just thank you, God, that, you know, Lord, when we walk in your word by your grace and mercy, we can testify to, yes, God is good and his word is true. His ways are good. 
Oh, Lord, let us be found a people abounding in you, growing in you. And listen, if you're here tonight, if you haven't called upon Christ, you are in your sin. And you are under a sentence of death, a sentence of the second death, hell. That's bad news. It's horrible news. It should be the thing that concerns you more than anything else. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived a sinless life. And he went to the cross. It was, it was for you. To, to take the wrath due you, the, the result of our sin, to, to stand in your place. And all that was placed upon him that was do you, do me, do the world. He laid down his life, the wages of sin is death. And one took it, he laid it down, and then he conquered all that when he rose from the grave. That if we put faith in him, we have forgiveness, we have salvation. We have a, a new life in the Lord. We, we have freedom to abound and walk in him and live for him. And if you haven't called on him, call on him tonight. We bless and praise you, God. Thank you for this sweet time, God. Bless our fellowship right now. Lord, just be with everyone, God, leaving uh, and, and have your hand, even on all those out on the road. And um, I think Brady prayed for the first responders, all the guys, PGD guys, all these guys out there tonight. Really do put a great hedge of protection around them, keep them, and have your hand on our community. And Lord, I know this state, Lord, has stacked up a lot of sins, but you're gracious and merciful. Have your hand on us. And Lord, I'd even pray, God, in, in the midst of weather, people would call out to the Lord. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. We give you glory. We said together, amen. God bless you.